details like this second lockdown maybe is, is getting a bit wearing for people. Once you run 100 miles on trail, um, and mainly in the dark, and ended up running 50k flat on a muddy track instead. Once we get through a, a thousand miles, a hundred thousand feet, do we stop? I think the people that will do it will have a really good experience. They'll learn a lot about themselves. They'll be better runners. They'll be better prepared to go into real live races again. Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultrapod. This is just a short episode in between series to get James on a call and have a bit of a catch up. It's been a while, there's been a lot happening over the last few months. I don't think we've recorded anything in 2021, I think, maybe James will confirm. Um, so it's already been a challenging year, especially if you're used to making plans and training towards some goals in the near future. This seems to be the lockdown that never ends. On a personal level, I left Chamonix just before Christmas to head back to Scotland for a couple of weeks. I'm still here in Scotland, the borders are closed, travel is restricted and it feels like there isn't a great deal to be positive about at the moment. But just like most people, we're getting on with it and we're trying to do our best with everything that we do at Pylon, with the athletes we coach, the events we are creating and how we best keep inspiring people to keep on running. January was a busy month for us. If you didn't see any of it on social media, then we're not doing our job properly. The Pylon Racing Team took on another Endeavour project with the goal of running a thousand miles in just a week. It was a continuous relay with one of us running at a time. We had someone out there running towards our goal for the full 168 hours from midnight to midnight across the whole week. We did it for the challenge and for us to still feel connected as we weren't able to take on the same kind of adventures we have done in the past, like the Scottish National Trail and a double West Island Way. We were also very aware of how difficult a time it is for everyone with lockdowns and life continuing to be disrupted. So we hoped it would provide something positive and affirming that life isn't entirely on hold. We also wanted to encourage more conversation about mental health and well-being at a time when it's never been more necessary. So let's get James on the call. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what else we've been doing, plans for the next few months, and we also have some race news. And maybe if we can fit it in, we might do a bit of a giveaway too. So here is a bonus episode of the Pylon Ultra Pod. Hi James, how is life in your little office pod? It's been a bit of a crazy year for you already, I think. Yeah, it's really good and it's been way too long, but um, since the last time we spoke, um, you mentioned the office pod, I have an outdoor space fully kitted out for working in and it's made a massive difference. Just to balance, right? I have to leave the house to come here, but I feel like I'm at work now instead. So instead of feeling like I'm living at work by being in-house while working, I now actually have a workplace that's been quite transformational actually. And I'm good, mate, how are you? I'm okay, thanks. Every time I think we've spoken, James, and we've spoken a few times since, whatever, since December, you're in your little office. I think it's your cool hangout place now, as well as a place you obviously earn some money and uh, to keep the family, but um, it's a pretty cool little hangout spot. It really, really is. I mean, I brought the guitars and, um, and my vinyl down here, so it's kind of a music come piling, come working space, you know, um, probably not in that order of priorities, it's certainly not in reverse order, but yes, it, it makes a massive difference. I finish every day actually, Paul, I don't know if I've told you, I finish every day by cranking on, putting the guitar on and maybe just telling, you know, um, get, playing a song on the vinyl and just playing along with it, and it's a brilliant way to kind of 
switch off from the working day. Sometimes it's a bit loud and a bit late, but that's okay. That's all right. Blast out a few exactly. notes before you pop back in the house again. Work is done, everyone. Um, so I wondered where you wanted to start, James. I was thinking maybe because it's been a while, we go back to December. Now, I know you had some plans to do a fast winter West Highland Way run and possibly Rob Turner was going to turn up as well and run with you for some of that or all of it. Um, but the lockdown kicked in just before Christmas, I think, and that pretty much made it impossible for you to do. So was it then just a kind of quiet wind down to Christmas? How did you feel about all that happening? It was. We were going to do the, the Winter West Island Way. As you well know, um, given your experience with it, um, is kind of traditionally done on the shortest day of the year or the, the kind of closest weekend day to that. And actually, as it happened, the shortest day of the year was the weekend yeah. day this year. So it kind of felt really, really good to do it. Um, so we'd planned that in for, don't ask me the exact date, but it was the Saturday before Christmas. We were going to jump up to Fort William and then run all the way down to Mogai and the uh, you know, reverse. And we even had a really good plan about how we would time it so we would hit the lock side and daylight and stuff. And then it was, I think it was the, the new variant started to um, started yeah. to bite late November, um, early December. And Rob sent me a message saying, listen, I, I don't think this is going to be viable, so I'm just yep. letting you know now I'm out. I held on for another week into the first week in December just to see what the lay of the land was. But it became quite obvious because we were crossing so many council boundaries um, and things that it just wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do. And none of us, you know, you see people doing stuff that you know it's a wee bit of a stretch of the rules and maybe maybe they're, you know, they're taking interpretations a wee bit beyond the pale. But I don't want to... A, encourage people to do the wrong things. B, maybe have got into a bit of trouble in the Northwest Highlands and be taking up a, a space in the hospital that's, some, that's needed for someone whose who's needs are much more important than mine. And C, at the end of the day, we are setting an example to people and it would be wrong for us in the pursuit of our own ego, chasing you know, a Winter West Highland Way record, for example, to put others at risk. And that would have been the people who were supporting us or the people who, whose help we may have needed if something had went wrong. So it became, it became an easy choice to make, but not a, a nice choice to make. But actually what was really good, Paul, is um, we'd been we'd kind of set up to do the Wolfpack thing the weekend before, actually. Yeah. It was the kind of 11th, 12th of December. So the training that we'd done all the way through, um, the training we'd done all the way through um, sort of the winter, to get ready for the winter the winter West End away, just turned that around. And both Rob and I actually ran really, really good, strong 50Ks the weekend before we planned in the winter West End away, which meant we could actually kind of recover out into Christmas and, you know, reduce the miles, which was what was the plan, and spend a bit more time with the family. So it was disappointing on one hand, but I ended up running like a 50K PB the weekend before on a, a muddy dirt track, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a shame though, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, it's it's part of the point of doing those things sometimes in that you can finish the year really well, you can relax into Christmas and take a bit of a recovery week and knowing that you've pushed really hard and you've done something interesting and adventurous. So yeah, hopefully you'll get a chance maybe next, or this year in fact, 2021, if um, things get a lot better. The, the, cal- the calendar would kind of suggest it's possible, but the other thing is as well, and, and we've proven this with the stuff we've done, whether it be the pile and stuff we've done or the stuff some of our athletes have done, you just have to be agile and, and adaptable in, in this current environment and take the opportunities when they present themselves. And when something gets in the way of you not being able to do them, there's no point in sweating it and, you know, being negative about it. You just turn your attention to what's what's within your control. So that's a good example of where I wanted to run 100 miles on trail um, and mainly in the dark and ended up running 50k flat on a muddy track instead. You just have to, you just have to take the opportunities as they come. 
Yeah, and have you felt any change in athletes or friends or family? I've certainly sensed it with the people that we coach in some ways that um, it was fine, lockdown one, and they were quite energetic and keen to do new things and find their own adventures and everything as well. And I think we probably all had it in our minds that we'd get to Christmas and we'd maybe spend time with family at Christmas and then we'd come out of that and we'd have these real opportunities in 2021 and not be kind of stuck in a lockdown. So I wondered if you've noticed any changes in athletes or any changes in energy and positivity levels because I, I guess initially it probably felt like we're all in this together um, and there was a lot of support and positivity around whereas it feels like this second lockdown maybe is, is getting a bit wearing for people. The, the novelty has absolutely worn off for a lot of people. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And and I've seen some athletes who were super, super engaged, getting lots of PBs and stuff. Just having, you know, the, the, the days are just that wee bit, wee bit harder, just something like 25% harder to motivate yourself for. But it just starts to show yeah. through and what you then see is, you know, a missed session here or like maybe not giving it all there. And then the next week it's couple of, a couple of drop, couple of percent drop off and then the next week a wee bit more. And I think as, as I guess, as a, a coach and an athlete, kind of have to understand that and not sweat it and not try and shoehorn some massive amount of positivity and not dealing with the, re- the realistic um, situation, which is, it is really tough. And I think the thing that I've seen most athletes struggling with more than anything is, is those who are parents who are trying to be an athlete, work from home and homeschool and deal with the restrictions that are around them. It's, it's no surprise. And I think what we've seen with some athletes is generally just a reflection on where society is just now, which is, can I had enough of this? I need some hope for um, the path out, which we're starting to see. Um, but it's just got to the point where it's just become a bit of a grind for, for everyone and I think the first thing people tend to let go when it's about a grind like that is the the thing that actually gives them energy and you know fun and vitality, which is kind of looking after your body and mind. Yeah, I mean it's going to help. It's definitely getting lighter and the weather's getting a bit better, and it feels like there's a little bit more daytime, which will be good for people, and certainly helps to get more people out running and training well. So hopefully that will make a big difference over the next month or so. Um, so obviously over that time we already had another endeavour in the plan for I think it was a third week in January, which is supposedly the most depressing week of the year. I wondered if you fancied talking us through your thoughts on Endeavour from your side, maybe how you felt about it, what needed to be done in order for us to go ahead and try and attempt to run a thousand miles in a week and why you wanted to be part of it again. Yeah, so um, when we first did, when we first chatted about how do you do an endeavour when the whole, yeah. I mean, the whole ethos of endeavour, and actually one of the most fun parts about it is just kind of hanging out, yeah. high-fiving each other yeah, and, you know, um, getting burritos delivered and all that kind yeah. of great stuff. And then before you know it, we're actually running it. No one's going to see each other and you're trying to create that connection across literally thousands of miles. Um, so in terms of wanting to be involved with it to, to answer the question around that, I, m- more than anything else, we, we train so much on our own and especially during you know these lockdowns, that's been amplified for many people. You know, you, you're not getting a chance to train or go to places you wouldn't have went to in the past um, or you would have went to in the past, should I say. And then it's like, well, actually, the, the, the idea of then doing this virtual thing meant that I wasn't doing it on my own, even if I was physically on my own. And yeah. as the week went on, the amount of just banter and messages and encouragement that was coming back and forth, whether it be 
people doing nearly 9,000 feet of climbing in four hours, which kind of blows my mind, or people, you know, throwing down 50k after 50k after 50k. It was just brilliant to see everybody's different approach to it. But the the, the ambition of what, what you come up with is just so enticing. A thousand miles in a week. But remember we had the chat and it was like, that, that doesn't feel tough enough yeah. in the sense that, you know, it doesn't feel tough enough, but that's maybe a market that athletes are involved. And then we're like, right, well, okay, but it starts at midnight on the, the kind of Monday, Sunday into Monday morning and doesn't finish till midnight on the Sunday at the end of the week. And someone will always be out there every minute of every day. Someone will be out there plodding out miles. So why don't we just add in 100,000 feet of climb as well? Um, yeah. Which is like, you know, for me being a kind of flat track bully, it was a bit like, oh yeah, that's great. You know, that's that's going to that's gonna add spice to me. So that, and it, when you started to plan out what it meant, obviously I, I, I helped with the logistics of planning, who would run when and what the slots would look like. You started to get the sense of scale with doing that in a work week, a family week from home. I actually think, Paul, Doing it from home made it harder because you didn't have that natural breath from being able to go and be a bit selfish and go and sleep in the back of a van on your own or be in your own head or your own space because, you, you you know, you got home at eight o'clock at night and then it was like, right, I need to get the kids' bath and get them to bed. That kind of thing was playing through it as well or there was, you know, just life. Life went on after every session. Um, but I just, I just felt that it was such a unique opportunity to get the message out to people that just because we're restricted in the places and spaces we can play, it doesn't actually restrict the imagination and ambition we can put into that. And also, bottom line in it, we did it as, as we've done um, last year as well. We did it in maybe the most important week for raising awareness around mental health as well. You know, that, yeah. that kind of whole week where we, the, 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 you get the Blue Monday and that kind of mental health awareness week. I just think that really, really helped with the engagement and encouragement, and some of the some of the messages we got were incredible, and people get involved. and I don't you'll be able to tell me the community. How many miles did the community do alongside us? I think when we stopped counting, it was over five thousand or something. I think that's where we stopped. That so it was incredible, um, and I think that was a big point of it. Really, is just to try and demonstrate that life's still going on, and we can still have these adventures in some way. and um, it's obviously a difficult time and we're aware of that but maybe to offer a bit of positivity and a bit of hope maybe um, so yeah it was really funny and I'd forgotten James like well I'd quickly remembered from the endeavour before the Scottish National Trail thing it's like I remembered starting the tracker on the Scottish National Trail just like starting the first run on this endeavour it's like once you start there's no stopping now it's like we are going to the end there's no break there's going to be somebody running the whole time and and that kind of hits quite quickly. You realise, wow, this machine is up and running now and there's no stopping this train at all. But how quick a week was it as well? The week felt like it went by in jig time, to use a Scottish phrase. It felt like the week was over, but it felt like it lasted forever as well because we were we were just all so engaged. You know, you, you get, first thing you done when you got to bed in the morning was to check how the, pe- yeah. the person who was yeah. running overnight got on, if it wasn't you. Um, and, and I suppose, I, I, I guess... One of the things for me as well was just testing yourself by running that distance. And, and you know, we see people a lot doing ultra after ultra after ultra and marathons, multiple day marathons. But we were trying to run them at a pace as well in order yeah. to set a marker. So that, that made it doubly difficult. And also you had this kind of quandary of they'll go high and hard or they'll go, you know, they'll go high and hard and, you know, get elevation or they'll go flat and long to eat into the distance time. And I think that, that made it quite tactical. Um, 
And there was a, an, another thing that you noticed as you you went through that once we once it became clear we were going to you know we were going to get closer to being able to deliver a target. And you'll remember this, Paul. There was then about a chat that says once we get through a, a thousand miles and a hundred thousand feet, do we stop? And the question was asked, but no one, no one in that group wanted to say yes. Did you pick up on that? I did actually, yeah. And um, I think we probably had the last two slots as well on the yeah. Sunday, didn't we? And um, yeah, I remember the question appearing on WhatsApp. I can't remember who asked it. It might have been me. I don't know, but uh, there were no answers. And then it was just like the next person was out. So the next person was getting ready to go out. And that was just the way it continued. I don't think, I think we all knew we were committed to the, to the full week, no matter what happened really. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting one. We haven't even spoken about that at all. Um, I'm, 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 it's good that you noticed that as well, because I thought it was just me that noticed the lack of response on that one. It was almost like <laughs> you disgust me by giving us an option of stopping. You know, it's like, yeah. can, we can stop that. It's like, no. Um, and then actually what that made you realise that the camaraderie had motivated people so much they wanted to keep going. And the 168, the number we, we you know, kind of sat in the background against the target. But that became a thing, that, that idea of, you know, firing a gun at midnight on a Monday and then at midnight on a Sunday... Um, you know, firing it again to finish. Um, that in itself, the scale of ambition there is, is crazy. And I guess the thing that then worries me, right, with what comes out of your head is year one, we um, year one we do a double West Island race, it's over in a day, in yeah. a day and six minutes, but we don't talk about that six minutes no. ever. Um, <laughs> especially for the people who got a wee bit way late, and I'm not mentioning my name or Bob's or Graham's or anything. Yeah, maybe I mean, added six minutes to it. Yeah, it's difficult to get. I mean, it's easy to get lost in the car park, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently, it was foggy, right? So yeah, given an that, empty car um, park. But um, <laughs> but then I was like, right, okay. Well, what we'll do is we'll go for over four days, or it was a like hundred and two hours. I think we ended up in the Scottish National Trail, right? So you're yeah. like, okay. Now we've done seven days. I, I think there comes a point where that growth is unsustainable. I'm just calling that out now. Yeah. If you come back next year and go, why don't we do a month of something? Um, um, I'll either um, embrace you with a great amount of glee or I'll, I'll murder you. So just I'm, I'm letting you know that now. Yeah, I think I'll have to save my pennies first before that one, James, so that I can try and convince <laughs> you all to ask for a month off work, right. please. I'll right. cover your salaries. Right. It's fine. Maybe one day. But it was actually quite interesting that... Um, whilst we were apart obviously but there was some something interesting about that that we were all going out in our own space all miles apart from each other but we were still committed to that handover almost you know that you knew that 10 minutes before the end of your leg you knew the other person was up and getting ready and they were you know they had their running shoes tied and they were ready to go and you were you felt like you were still handing over to someone and you still had a job to do so that was quite interesting on that side of things I think it was, and also what you mentioned earlier, we don't do this kind of thing often. So, finishing a long run at midnight or four in the morning, or starting your start long runs at four in the morning, I've done on loads of occasions. But you know, like you don't do that often. So it was yeah. really interesting to see how your sleep worked and your body reacted, and how you you know I I learnt loads about refueling and and also about how much. Or how to feel better for runs that start late in the day. Like the world twenty four hours can sometimes start at midday. Yeah. And by that point you're kinda you're kinda like, right, I'm on to my second meal of the day here, you know, and I learned I, I learned quite a bit about that, about just well, I'll have a I was having like a breakfast at seven o'clock at night, you know, I would just have muesli like I would have if I was going out at seven in the morning. Yeah. And um, for a long run and I was like, actually that really worked. Um so there was good there was good lots of good information from a strategy point of view. 
and doing those miles as well, Paul. I mean, I, it took me maybe a week or two to recover a bit of my mojo and my physical, um, you know, just my physical equilibrium. But doing those miles was, I, I, I came out of it with loads of confidence actually about, I feel like, you know, some of the ambitions I have in the 24 stage are actually closer now as a result of having done that because I've good information about my body, good information about my mind, good information about nutrition. So there was a lot of personal benefit as well. Yeah, it was a funny one. It was almost like a love-hate thing towards the end. You know, we were tired, obviously. Your legs are feeling a bit sore, particularly in the first half an hour when you're back out again and it's leg five or six or something. But I actually found myself the day after, you know, reaching for my phone to, to work out when my next slot was and thinking, oh, I don't have one today. Um, yeah, I wondered how long we could keep on going, James. Maybe a month is on the cards at some point. I'm joking. A month is on the cards. You, you broke up a wee bit there, mate. Yeah. Oh, did I? All right, but, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. All right, okay. A month is on the cards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe sometime. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing, and 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 the the engagement both within the team and within the community was brilliant. And it, I mean, Paul, you you stand behind this stuff, right? I mean, fundamentally, you're the you're the guy who sends a, a, a flare up with the idea and then we start to finesse it so you do the creating and then there's a lot of critiquing goes into it i don't think people understand the scale of conversation that brings an idea like us from you know a, a little tiny embryo in your brain that you then start to pad out and pad out and pad out and then you go let's let this wild were you you must have been really proud to see both what people who you regard as both friends and athletes done but also how people engage with the community and how Sam H, who are an amazing charity partner to work with, um, embraced it as well. How do you feel about it? Um, I don't know, James. Like, uh, I, I think I think in some ways it's easy to have ideas, right? Like, every, everybody has good ideas, and maybe I should do that sometime, and maybe I could do that. And actually, the difficult bit is actually moving on those ideas and taking the action on the back of it to try and make it actually happen. So, like, I'm very lucky I've got you guys around me because like between us all as a team we're just amazing at getting stuff done you know and it, it, with a bit of a spark and excitement of an idea then things can start to roll pretty quickly as you know or nothing happens for for a short period and then it goes really fast and things start uh, kicking off so like I, I genuinely couldn't pull these things together without the whole team um getting in there and even thinking back to the one before that as well and there was a fair amount of organization even in this virtual event but the scottish national trail alone like just the navigation element of that was huge. We were all doing homework at night. We we're all spending hours trying to troll through maps and work out courses and pick up points and everything as well. But I think that's what that's what makes it feel good. So by the time you actually get to the running side of it, it actually feels like that's almost like a, a reward in some ways. Um so yeah, it's um yeah, I feel good I feel good about it. I feel good that we we had some good conversations about mental health and I feel good that we tried to inspire some other people to take on some adventures and, and give people something interesting to talk about or to follow. Um, to raise some money like that for Sam H is great as well. We've we've done that for the last couple of events and that's always huge and it's very much appreciated by them. So thank you to everybody who and anybody who contributed there. I think we raised what did we raise over the over five, six thousand pounds or something? I think once you add in gifted it's it's touching nearly eight K now yeah. um, for the year. So, um so yeah it's it's not an insignificant sum in in a period where I guess mental health has never been more at the forefront of people's minds. Um so Yeah. Yeah. And for and for us who are actually doing it and competing and pushing hard, it, it does make a difference when you know people are following and you know 
there's some bigger benefit on the other side and it's not just about the adventure for us which which part of it is obviously you know we're athletes and we like to uh, do some interesting stuff and push ourselves but uh, knowing there's other people out there and we're making some kind of difference or reaching some people that we maybe wouldn't have the chance to uh, definitely helps a lot I think and it's been a big part of it to date but yeah who knows what will happen next with Endeavour but I think we'll we'll likely do another one at some point so we'll see we'll see yeah I'm pretty certain we will I'm pretty certain we will oh it's brilliant so we've just kind of chatted about Endeavour there which is um can I focus on the Pylon Racing Team, um, our small but elite group of cool cats who have been out and running <laughs> for a long time there um, recently. And we do quite a lot of stuff for Pylon athletes that people may not be aware of. You know, we've had the kind of WAVA um, events and then we had the Wolfpack thing that I referenced in December. But we, we don't really make them above the line conversations no. where we bring loads of people into it because it's really just for the people who are coached as, as athletes to help give them a hook, keep them motivated, and especially in, in light of what we've been through in the last year. Yeah. But there's a, a another event on the horizon that's going to go wider and anyone can take part in, which is Exposure. So, Paul, can you just give us a bit about the why for Exposure? Yeah, um, I guess we've been organising events for a few years now, um, but those like external events have usually been... Um, residential training camps or pylon experience camps which have been amazing and given us so much and we've enjoyed them and the people that have come along have had a great time as well um, and we actually had one planned for April which we've just had to postpone to later in the year for obvious reasons um, I also I just wanted to do something in this space around racing and, and do something that's a bit wider that other people can get involved with and I've never really had the time or support to make it work I've been obviously training for races normally, travelling, coaching a lot of athletes and there's been loads of ideas I just didn't have the bandwidth for and I really get the whole Steve Jobs quote about connecting the dots only when you look back and in reality lockdown version one, <laughs> the original, it gave, me <laughs> a bit, it gave me a bit more time to try and get the business into a better shape and I'm sure anyone who works for themselves will know that you often get caught in doing the work rather than spending any time planning and shaping what you really want and need to do. Um, and we had that challenge early on that you talked about with athletes and that we, we they had nothing to train for um, and they were maybe feeling isolated and they were looking to us to try and provide some leadership. So we did some of those virtual events that you talk about. We did the WAVA, which was like the fast, fast times over short distances and they got longer um, over the period of a month I think which was really great and loads of people got engaged with it um, and then we also did the Wolf Pact we've done two of those now the, the December one was great the one before that was fantastic and we weren't quite racing but I think most of us had that kind of start time nerves and most of us were kind of buzzing when we finished as well so we then had Endeavour which we've talked about already and that kind of gave me another hint that because it gave me that kind of buzzy race feeling again it was like going out on that first one James at midnight on your own in some random place to go and run for four hours I definitely had that kind of pre-race pre -race nerves which I haven't had all this time you know so um, and the fact that I knew that there was other people out there um, falling along it, it helped me to give my best and I was able to run better than I probably have done in training uh, for ages it kind of mattered that I needed to get it done. I wanted to share it with the rest of the team that I'd completed my section well and, you know, and I'd banked 50k or I'd banked whatever it was, 8,000 feet and all that. So it felt like 
there was an opportunity for us to share some of that excitement with a wider community and try and engage a few more people um, from outside of our immediate um, athletes. So there's been loads of virtual events, which we all know. We've all been in, some of us have been involved in some, and some of us have just helped out in terms of training to get people ready for virtual events. And some of those have been from obvious big race companies and have done some fantastic events over a week or a distance to mimic particular race courses, um, be it Lakeland or whatever. But we don't we don't really have that history and we don't have that connection to fall back on. So we had to be creative and we had to find a way to put on an event that could still deliver much more of that live racing experience, but obviously within COVID guidelines, however strict any kind of travel conditions were. So we wanted it to be an event that was like just as a compelling for the faster people like you, James, who just want to race against good people, um, but also reach out to those people <clears throat> who it's just going to be a challenge for them to complete it. It's going to be a bit of a mental challenge. It's, it's obviously got some endurance elements, um, which is part of what we do. But um, there's also a group of people maybe who haven't run an ultra before and, and there's there's an option in this event for people to step up, maybe people that have been training for a marathon and a lot of the big city marathons have obviously been postponed again. So um, we, we kind of felt that this format could work really well for them too. So we kind of thought about these audiences and I spoke to some friends and family and um, I think there was a few needs that I kind of identified that I could see that were quite obvious in terms of what people needed out of an event that we could maybe deliver against. So um, I think the first one being that experienced runners like myself and you and people who are used to racing all the time were actually out of race practice. I think we felt that, I certainly felt that in Endeavour. Um, you're maybe a wee bit out of shape in terms of getting your nutrition right. I think probably three or four of us had stomach issues at points on Endeavour. And that's purely through practice because you just don't maybe take on the same nutrition as you would normally. And you do have to train your stomach, I think, for those kind of things. Um, and those are some of the things that you need to get absolutely right before you go back into live races if you're expecting to do well when things start to open up in summertime. Um, and I don't think you can really get that without actually being in a race. You can try to do it in training and you can try to do it on some of your longer, faster training runs and uh, you can get some success from doing that. But actually being in a kind of race environment really helps for you to develop those skills, I think. Um, so I think this exposure race is a great way for people to practice racing again. The second thing was, I think people are in need for some kind of fun and novelty. And when you couple that with challenge, it helps people to better engage with their training just the same way as it does when people are trying to learn or they're trying to get into some state where they can perform better. Um, so we knew it had to be um, more than just a run 50 miles in five days or run 100 miles over a week. It had to be something different from that. People kind of want to be challenged on more than just running a fast time. They kind of want that endurance and mental challenge too. And then the last one for me really was about um, learning and community really. So some people haven't run an ultra before, as I said, or haven't gone beyond 50 miles before. Um, and sometimes you just need an event in order to make that step and take that risk and take that challenge and push on a little bit um, and kind of take that plunge. And, and once you do that, it certainly helps from a training side of things. It makes you really committed to your training and you get much more out of that same time that you're putting into your training. I think we're also very fortunate, like you've mentioned already, we've got a great community around us and 
that's really helped lots of other people take on bigger challenges and feel supported along the way. And it's not just us. It's not just coming from the coaches. It's coming from all the athletes that we've ever spoken to or all the athletes that we help. We've got this community to help too. So I think that was the basis of this exposure race for anybody who doesn't know anything about it, I guess. Um, basically, there's a 6, 12 and 24 hour option. It'll be broken down into hourly chunks, effectively. There'll be 24 exposures if you're doing a longer race. There'll be six exposures if you're doing the shorter race. You won't know how far you have to run each hour. We will text you out a message to say, exposure two, you have to run four miles. So it'll be up to you how fast you want to take on that four miles. If you run it fast, you'll have more recovery time before your next exposure comes in. If you run it better pace, then you might have more energy towards the end, particularly if you're going to do the 12 or 24 hour version. So... There's definitely a bit of a mind challenge in there and we're expecting people to, I don't know, surrender a bit of control and be a bit more vulnerable than they would be on a kind of normal uh, virtual race, really. I mean, that that sounds like it's not just about clocking up the miles um, no. and sending out, sending out for your medal, you know, like the virtual London marathons. Yeah, just go to a marathon, yeah. let us know you've done it and we'll, we'll send your stuff out to you because actually you're going to be in competition, so... And that, there's all sorts of tactics start to spring to mind. So I'm just thinking about if, if for example, I was doing this and you've sent me out that message to say, right, okay, it's 9am, it's exposure to, you need to cover four miles in this hour. Um, um, I guess because it's a time, a cumulative time challenge, there is a question about how far you want to do that. Because you could go and walk it in four, four, um, four miles in an hour, you but then you've no, recovery, yeah. you've no recovery and you're going to be well behind the leader. Um, but then the flip of that is, is you're likely to be accumulating energy for later on and your nutrition is going to become really, really important. But as just thinking as you were talking about that, another tactic that's going to be really important is, is the terrain on which you run. So for me, I'm either a hill out the village or a hill back into the village, no matter which way I go. Yeah. Or I could just run up and down the main street, which is pan flat for a kilometre. And then you go, right, is that the way to do it if I want to get it to be fast? So there's a, there's a whole bunch of tactics and things you need to think about about your your gear your nutrition your route planning the pace you go out at the start and i don't think there's anything like this actually now that not think about it i mean maybe the closest cousin to it's the last person standing but the problem with that is, is it's the same you know it's the same route at least when it's a physical event the same route and the same distance every time um but in this one actually there's all sorts of tactics you can apply i, th- I and, think i think it's and, a good point james i think that was part of of the creation of this in that you can see that people want an additional challenge and that's why some of the big dog backyard stuff has been really successful and it was still successful through the original lockdown I think last year there was a a couple of events around the world and and that people want something that's a bit more of a mental challenge too and it's not always about just running as fast as you can over a set distance so um, it kind of feels like it ticks that box too. And, and I guess what you what be really interesting is is you know once you get the day afterwards so the event's been done and you start to see the day afterwards for people who've maybe went out hard and they could have tactically planned it better or the attrition rate as people get to that point where I, I I don't I genuinely don't know so for anyone who's listening this is genuinely the first detailed conversation Paul and I have had about this but I'm thinking a real mind bender would be that. You're in the 24 and then at one in the morning you, you get your exposure which would be like 13 or 14 or whatever and it's like just a mile and it's like oh, no, that that puts me in danger of falling asleep here rather than yeah. keeping going because one of the things one of the things that makes a 24 actually easier than people think is is 
the continual movement keeps you awake, right? Yeah. But actually, you can bend people's heads. Or I'm sure you've probably thought of all sorts of sadistic opportunities. Like <laughs> um, and, and 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 I guess um, the experience through the day will people be able to know? For example, will I know where I stand against the field? Yep, we'll have leaderboards and uh, hopefully we'll be texting people um, how many people are still left in, in each of the categories too. Um, they're obviously quite different races. If you're doing a six-hour, it's going to be a different experience from people doing 24. The 24-hour guys, James, as you've rightly said, will maybe need to think about sleep. Is there an opportunity if a short exposure comes up for me to get it done quickly and get back and maybe get 20 minutes sleep before I go back out? The six-hour guys, I think, is a great opportunity for people, anyone who's kind of ready to run a marathon could could go further. And it's actually quite a safe way to do it because you're likely coming back to your house every time. You've got a chance to take on some food. You can change your socks or change your shoes and change your clothes if it's wet or whatever and get back out there. So um, it will definitely favour the people who can be smart about their pacing and be consistent about things. Uh, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see some of the some people going out super hard at the start. Almost like... The endeavour in some ways, James, you know, some some of us went out pretty hard the first couple of days because you feel fresh, but eventually it's going to bite and it's going to bite in the 12 and the 24 hour races and for some of the less experienced guys doing the six hours as well. Six hours is quite a long time to be focused for, really. Yeah, and uh, uh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And But there's also that, there's also the flip of that as, a, as I think it through, imagine if I was doing an event, um, as I think it through, there's also you don't want to risk not leaving it out there because that's the other thing you get to those last couple of hours. Imagine you're in the last hour of um, the six and it's only a short exposure and you're like, oh, they went hard on the previous ones. That's such a such a mind balance. Um, so yeah, that's really it's going to be really interesting to just to see how different people's tactics play out. And because there's no real, you know, you know when someone's doing a race, like say Glen Ogle, which is due on in April, or even a twenty four hour race, so the best time away. You're jumping in there and looking at previous splits, and you're saying, "I'm the same level as him or her, so I'll just maybe just mimic what they did." There is there is no there's no trail of breadcrumbs to follow here, so it's going to be quite interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I'm I'm hoping we get quite a good mix of people. You know, there'll be people that maybe comfortable running a fifty miler, or maybe done some hundred milers, and it's maybe taken them, you know, twenty six hours to do. Maybe it's a good opportunity to see if they can do it carefully and pace it well and and run almost 100 miles or maybe more in the 24 depending on the, the luck of the draw in terms of what exposures you get and to learn that to learn the value um, of there's, there's, a, there's another e word that just comes out every time you, you talk about it and it's efficiency is going to be the thing here eh? yeah it's changing of your gear your nutrition your planning and not getting caught and even if you do plan to have a nap you know getting up in enough time to feel fresh enough to go and make the best of the next exposure uh, it's going to be interesting and, and Paul I guess I've got a, a kind of personal question for you on this right because mm-hmm. this is a big leap, leap for you you've talked about that creativity and that's this has obviously been kind of bouncing around your head for a wee while um, and you talk about that creativity and then putting it out there but it must feel like in the light of the way some people talk about virtual races and let's make no bones about it there's some people who deride them who say something like you know the amount of people who entered the virtual london marathon last year um i, I see statements like all you've really done is bought a medal and a t-shirt and went and done a training run yeah but what what would you say is different about this thing i i, I think this the big difference with this and i'm i'm the same james and we've had conversations on this podcast i'm pretty sure uh last year in the middle of lockdown about Maybe these virtual races weren't for us, but understand why people wanted to do them and understood why people 
or could appreciate why people wanted to run around their back garden for an ultra or whatever and, and that was fine it was a moment in time that people felt that was the right thing to do and um, so i certainly didn't want to be just another another race putting on a race and you can get a medal at the end of it if you complete whenever you want to i actually wanted it to be a proper challenge something that actually is going to stretch people um and i think that's really important with everything that we do at pylon really it's an opportunity to maybe take a bit of a risk and step into the unknown because we're used to straightforward race scenarios uh, because we normally do live races they're all very similar you pick a distance you go and run that distance so um Obviously, I've got a bit of an interest in some of these weirder formats, and I've been to Barclay and mm. stuff as well. You know, which is, which is way more a mental challenge than it is physical. The physical challenge is huge, but the mental challenge is much greater. So, I think this has the opportunity to provide something close to that in a way that people can do virtually. So, I I just wouldn't have put out an event, a virtual event, um, if I didn't feel like it was going to actually give people proper value and and help them to be a better person and help them to be a better runner so um that's my thinking behind it i don't know if people will understand it james or get it and i understand that i've not put on races before so maybe people will think this is all just you know a bit of a wacky idea and not get involved but i think the people that will do it will have a really good experience they'll learn a lot about themselves they'll be better runners they'll be better prepared to go into real live races again um, and hopefully um, we'll be able to build on it from here. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're, it was, it was, it's not dissimilar to the first time we put on a pylon experience, which is our, our kind of weekend training camp, you know, James. Um, it, we weren't oversold that first time that we did it. You know, we, we needed a few core people to have enough belief in us that we were going to do something worthwhile who came along to that. And then they were the people that ended up benefiting in the end and, some of those people have been with us on every experience we've done since that first one. So um, I'm I'm thinking this race might end up the same, hopefully, and, and we'll hope to do more events that are maybe challenging the market, if you like, rather than just putting on the same kind of events as everybody else. Yeah, sounds like you might need to patent this one, but also um, from Tiny Acorns and all that kind of good stuff. I'm excited to see how this goes. Um, I certainly know uh, I've been contacted by a lot of people who've, been curious about the the format and the way it'll work and what's right for them um because it's like is six hours the right thing to do maybe this far out from this event or is it 12 or is it 24 yeah and it's like yeah it's, it's a it's a you know it's a, it's, a, it's a judgment call right because um it's not the standard 50k 50 mile 100 mile event it's slightly different yeah um, and the mental fatigue could be is is um or the mental challenges is as difficult as a physical one Sounds brilliant, Paul. Um, and I guess if anyone's got any questions, I guess they can just at you at whatever social media place they want to or drop a line to the email address. Yep, no problem at all. And hopefully, James, you'll be involved along the way. We're probably going to put on a couple of live video seminars for anybody who's signed up that wants to talk about, you know, how to prepare for it or what to do to recover well. And obviously, James has got some great experience there being a 24-hour track runner. And also having gone through a couple of endeavours too where you had to recover quite quickly and get back out there. So should be interesting anyway. And then in terms of what's next for you, James, I know you've had track 100 on the plan, um, but I believe you have some news on that maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're recording this the day after um, or in the week that the announcements have came from the, the various devolved nations and the, the Westminster government as well. And if you read the, the guidelines coming mm -hmm. out of Scotland, it looks like we won't be able to travel 
um, certainly cross boundaries and cross borders um, till before the end of April, which this, the event, um, the Track 100 is on the 24th of April, and um, the, the, the language being used by our government is, is the last week in April. Yeah. Now, that might mean that they start that week on the Friday, but it's we can't wait until the Tuesday of that week to decide whether we're going to, you know, drive um, 500 miles down to Kent to run an event. So, um, as it stands right now, subject to me doing a wee bit of looking around the, the details, um, I, I think that Track 100 is going to be logistically beyond um, my... Um, my capability to get to, um, not notwithstanding, there's still like a per- there was always a personal question about how safe would I have been travelling at what stage of the pandemic, mm. um, and I, I mean if the track one hundred was next week and we were allowed to travel, I wouldn't go. I think the the um, the safety comes first for both me and my family, and um, I would I wouldn't travel whilst we've got the range of infection and cross infection that we're seeing just now. Um, but by the time we get to the end of April, it should look very different with the vaccination rollout and all that stuff. But it feels like it's probably, it's going to end up being about a month early for, for me travelling from Scotland. There are quite a number of Scottish athletes scheduled to run in the race and with the 24-hour World Champs getting put back from May to October, that's left a, um, a, 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 real, a really, really strong field in there. But um, as it stands right now, I'm looking at being free that weekend, which is the same weekend as you're running this exposure thing. Hence why um, everyone's listened to my personal vetting of the event with you, so I can work out whether it's right for me instead. Yeah. But I'll be looking. I'll be looking for some sort of adventure to do now. But yeah, the track 100 looks off the cards now. Oh well, James, I'll keep you a 24 hour spot on exposure if you fancy. Uh, <laughs> I'll just whack in my entry idea. It's, I love the way you just went straight to 24 hours. Like, I wasn't thinking, I was like, oh, well, I'll just do an easy 12 or a, an easy 6. It's like, no, you'll be doing the 24 and you will make it sadistic um, for me at some point or for the, the, the team as a result. James, that you, you, Machiavellian laugh. James <laughs> you, you love it when it's tougher like that anyway. I know, I know. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm like, I'm like oh yeah, I'm like, when we were planning Endeavour, I was like, oh no, we need to give two people six slots. And I was like, well, I'm definitely giving Paul one. And I'm having the other one. Remember I sent you a message saying I was oh. just disappointed I didn't get to do it seven of them. I know, um, I know. So, <laughs> Something wrong with you, James. So you, you're right. It's like, I'm, I'm saying that with the biggest smile ever about the um, the, the 24. But yeah, it's a, shame it's, all, it's a shame it's not likely to happen on that basis for us. But there's a bigger picture at play here, right? And I think we need to be really patient and play the long game when it comes to our own personal health and safety, but just our community's health and safety. And um, James, the, the race director, will face a tough series of decisions about all these races, and, and in fairness to the guys at Centurion, they've been absolutely brilliant at keeping their community engaged, and also um, they put on a number of COVID safe events last year, so he's got the experience. Yeah. The bigger challenge will be is, I think people in England will be allowed to travel, but people in Scotland, judging from today and from the, the notes coming out in the last couple of days, won't be so it's not through a not wanting to do the a great event put on by a great team it's just logistically it won't happen at that time yeah so that's just how it goes right and yeah i guess paul you you've you had a lot of plans this year that are already having to be quite pliable as well yeah 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 i had plans but i don't have plans now virtually is <laughs> all i've got to say about that <laughs> at the moment really yeah, um, yeah it's difficult yeah. it's difficult because it's been it's been the biggest part of my life for I don't know, eight, ten years now, just whatever races I'm doing, it's where I'll be in the world and it's what I'm focused on and it what it's what drives my training and everything that I'm doing and I've not had that now. I haven't raced for I don't know, fifteen months maybe, other than Endeavour felt like I was kinda of racing. Um so yeah, it's hard, James. Um 
but yeah, hopefully in the next month or so I'll have a better idea of what the rest of the year looks like and we get back to doing the stuff that we love doing, hopefully. Yeah, we can maybe share that with people once you've been able to get some clear routes forward and what, what 2021 is looking like for you. Yep. So the podcast then, we haven't spoken about that, I don't think. Um, we are planning a third series. Um, just want to reassure everyone. Um, we've talked about it before, I think, but we'll definitely be getting back to more of our one-to-one conversations after our last series where we focused on the lives and the minds of elite athletes um, we'll likely have, I think James, we talked about seven episodes maybe around a specific theme, which is probably going to be about collaborative and creative thinking in sport. We'll probably take a deep dive into some of those particular areas in each episode and then bring it all together at the end with some views from our audience, hopefully, about the issues and learnings that really matter to them. I think we both agree that we want it to be a bit more dialogue rather than just broadcast. So please feel free to get involved and share your thoughts on social media and in the comments section if there's anything at all that you agree when we say something or there's other issues or things that we should be talking about, then we'll try and fit it in too. But um, it should be a good series, Series 3, James, eh? I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, especially because as we, we sharpen up coming out of Series 2, which was great hearing from some really truly world-class athletes um, but we'll get back to the the basic core of what the, the pylon ultra podcast is about which is you know sharing our views sharing our thoughts and having a, a really distinct theme for season three i think it's going to really help people get from an arc from episode one through i think we we, we planned seven of them yeah so it is kind of a continual hopefully build of the growth and the learning and us sharing our views on things but you made a point there paul about um, participation is important as well very important to us is, is we're not on here telling you it's not a sermon to tell you what we think is right and therefore you should just take that on board it's really a challenge thinking and that's exactly why the stuff about collaboration and participation in sport I think becomes really important because not only what we're going to talk about in season three is going to hopefully prompt some thinking but hopefully prompt a lot of growth and learning for you and I as well by the conversations we have but also by the interactions we have with folk out there as well. I think that's the biggest thing, James, and and particularly the first series for me was that because we were quite clear on what topics we were trying to work on per episode, it was forcing me to go and do some research and, and giving me a good excuse to get reading and studying and, and coming with a particular view that I knew was going to be different from yours. And I think that's where some of the magic lies. You know, you can find out a bit more and actually discuss some of these ideas rather than just talking at people, you know. Yeah, yeah. So actually, on that note, um, and this is the wild card question that we just sweep your leg with, like Cobra Kai style, um, for anyone who's, wa- who's watching on Netflix. Um, what are you reading just now? And we, um, what are, it doesn't need to be what you're reading right this minute, but what, what have you read recently that you would recommend people pick up? Um, I've been reading a book. Um, it's not by Naval Ravikant, um, but it's his words. So somebody's pulled together. He's quite a well-known blogger twitter user um he's quite a wealthy individual but has some really interesting thoughts about um how we earn our money how we make a living um, and the choices that we make in our lives so um there's some really short sharp snippets in there that have been really interesting for me um and i also picked up um the latest stephen kotler performance one i can't remember what it's called i don't think it's in print at the moment so i've just been listening to the audiobook um, he was a guy who wrote The Rise of Superman and uh, what was the fire one called? 
can't remember Burning Fire or something like that. Ste- Stealing Fire. Stealing, Stealing Fire. Fire. One. Yeah. You kindly sent me a copy. That's really good. Yeah. 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 It, it's always a good read. His books are super well researched and stuff. And he actually made a really interesting point the other day. I thought was about the value that you get from reading a book. So his argument was, and it did initially sound like it was a bit of coming from an author, a bit of a sales pitch, but um, he's basically saying that when you read a book, you're committing whatever it is, £15 for the book, but you're committing maybe five hours of your life to go through that book to learn something. But you're actually getting the wisdom of somebody who's maybe spent you know, years and years and spoken to countless experts about different things in order for them to present a compelling view. So the benefits are huge. It's such a concentrated form of learning. And I think books have probably taken off a bit in the last few years again. People are getting a wee bit more into books, but it's very easy to sit and watch documentaries and um, not spend a bit of time to actually read. And, and there's some good good evidence to show that when you read something and you take some notes and you write something down on the back of it, then you're way more likely to take it on and remember it and actually... Um, take on that learning and do something with it um, so yeah I'm a big book fan what are you reading? Um, I've got um, there's probably a couple I'd, I'd counsel people to think about picking up so clearly I'm always reading a Sherlock Holmes book but um, Sherlock Holmes The Lost Years is probably not of interest to how many or, Sherlock um, Holmes books are there? Listeners. Um, I mean I've got I'm looking at my collection here just now there's maybe upwards of 150 here but, you, know, you know Conan Doyle they're not all Conan Doyle yeah. books um, what happens is, is um, um, he um, there's loads of pastiches and parodies. I mean, written by some really famous authors, you know, like yeah. Andy Horowitz. Um, he's written some really good ones. James Lovegrove's written some really good ones. And Andrew Lane, who writes a lot of the um, Doctor Who stuff, for anybody out there who's into that, he, he has a whole series of books. I think there's eight of them in total called Young Sherlock Holmes. Imagine in the life of Sherlock Holmes before he moved to London and was a teenager. So there's just brilliant, a brilliant range of books on this. And the one I'm talking about is the years between his disappearance of um, Raking Back Falls and then when he returns um, to everyone's surprise a few years later. So it's really good. People have got brilliant imagination. Yeah. However, from a, from a, I guess from a running and development point of view, there's probably three books that I've read recently that um, are worth people hooking in with. There's a book called The Coaching Habit by a guy called Michael Bungie-Stania, um, which is more about coaching and it's more of a business book, but it really applies to your own thinking and how to get clear and, you know, how to... How to get away from chasing ghosts where you, you end up just wasting time and energy on things that don't really matter. Yeah. Um Damon Hughes, um who um or Damon Hughes, who does a, a really good podcast called the High Performance Podcast, actually, has um his book The Winning Mindset. I've picked it up again um because it's um it's a good read. And he talks about the kind of principles of a winning mindset, which we'll end up talking talking about about in, in the next series. Um, but thinking and simplicity being two cores of that. And then there's one that I, I mentioned to you in a call last week, Paul, No Rules Rules, which is the kind of Netflix yeah. um, culture of how things work in Netflix and how they don't let rules get in the way of creativity and freedoms. And there's a big bit, a big onus on trust. And it actually, I found it really disarming because there's so much of it I disagree with, but I totally understand why they do it the way they would do. So instead of saying, that's wrong, I'm now going, why is it I... But there's this whole thing where if you react with emotion when you hear something, you got to question why you react with that emotion. Yeah. And it's like why do I why do I think that is stupid and wrong? Um and then I go, actually maybe it's me that's wrong as opposed to what they're kind of preaching. And it's just challenging your own thinking, right? So 
and I, I totally agree with your point about reading. A, I, I try and spend the first thirty minutes of every day before work reading a book like the ones I've just described because it just helps my own growth. Um, and documentaries are like abstracts; they'll give you the headlines, but they'll not give you the depth. I don't think they do, so and I, 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 I love documentaries too, but um, it's not quite the same as taking a bit of time to yourself and actually having the time to think about. It. I actually find. I don't know how you get on with audiobooks and I like them. I like them for running now. You know, I stick on an audiobook and whatever, but I don't retain that information at all on an audiobook. Um, Paul, the amount of times I've been running my audiobook or a podcast and I've went like, I've just missed the last three minutes of this because I've been yeah. daydreaming about my, yeah. my porridge when I go home. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, when you read a book, one of the reasons why you were talking about, one of the reasons why uh, you, you learn more from it is, is it's the pace at which you take the information in. And the lack of distraction. You watch a documentary, you'll reach for your phone, you're listening to an audiobook when you're out running, you'll, you'll be distracted by a deer crossing your path or a, you know, thinking about crossing the road or your next pickup. When you're reading a book and you're immersed in it, you're reading it slow, you're taking information in and you'll pause to think, you won't even know, you'll pause to think about something that you're unsure of. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But an audio book, you you you're you're not sure about what someone means. You just move. You've moved past it already. Oh, it's gone. You're yeah, on. You're on to the next yeah. thought to try and catch up. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Interesting chat. It is yeah. I'm not sure it's podcast chat, but we're having it anyway. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Shall we wind it up there, James? Yes, we shall. It's been a good, good, good conversation. Cool. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you'd like to hear more, then please subscribe, leave us a comment, and share it on social media. If we can build an audience with your help, then we'll be able to spend more time doing these podcasts, talking about the stuff that really matters to us and hopefully helping more people to think differently about the situation, their goals and the things they're passionate about. We'll be back soon with series three of the podcast and more of these conversations on living the ultra life, where we'll talk further about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. I'm Paul Giblin. And I'm James Stewart. And you've been listening to the Pylon Ultra Pod. Do we still do boom? Yeah, we have to. <laughs> Feels going. like it when you get to it. So before I go, just a final thought and one that fits well with some of the conversations we've had earlier in the show, and that's about fear. Fear has the potential to stop us making progress. Stephen Kotler, in his latest book about performance, talks about its impact on some of the world's highest performing extreme sports athletes. No fear and facing your fears are easy terms to say and market, but in reality, fear is something that we all feel. It's normal that many of us want to avoid the feeling altogether, but not everyone does. The greatest big wave surfers, the guys skiing the narrowest, steepest and iciest gullies, those taking on races, they're just not sure they can survive or get to the end. They don't try to avoid fear. They seek it out because when you overcome fear, a strength is acquired. It sharpens our skills and opens our minds to new opportunities. Fear makes us better humans. So in the words of Humble the Poet, get out there, be uncomfortable, make mistakes, get embarrassed, we'll all be dead soon. It's not a big deal. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.